0: Good morning, I'm Addie, I'm a student in the Refuge Ministry. Today we're going to be reading in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. You can find that on page 886 in the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Our other reading will be in Exodus chapters 33 and 34. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand. And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the 3rd and 4th generation and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped this is the word of the lord Thanks. Thanks,
1: Eddie. Good morning. Good morning. Well welcome everybody. Good morning everyone joining us online as well today. Before we jump into our teaching time this morning I have just a couple of things I want to share with you and the first is a word of thanks to all of you. We uh, just hosted our Heart for the Valley event again this weekend and I want to give you a quick report on that. You guys gave a little over $21,000 this year for to Heart for the Valley. Why don't you give yourselves a hand for that? Thank you for your generosity in in giving. Uh, We had Uh, 65 students and volunteers from our refuge ministry come on Friday and Saturday to pack meals and then deliver those meals. We were able to provide really big Christmas meals uh, to more than 220 families around the St. Croix Valley. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again for your generosity, not just in Heart for the Valley, but of course all year long uh, your giving makes what we're doing around here possible. So thank you for that. The other thing I just want to uh, talk about really quickly is uh, one more time. I know you've already heard it this morning. I just want to talk about one more time the plan for the next two Sundays because I want to make sure you understand why we're doing what we're doing, okay? So this is Christmas week already, everybody. Yay! Are you? Was that a groan? Did you just groan? <laughs> it's Christmas, everybody! Yay! <laughs> you've almost made it. We will be hosting services this Saturday and then next Sunday at 4.30 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. No service next Sunday morning. Everybody's got that because we're doing a, a candlelight service that's hard to do in the, in the morning. It's not as fun to do in the middle of the morning. Okay, everybody's got that. Next Sunday, though, uh, New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday this year. And so we're excited to gather we're also wanting to give as many of our staff and volunteers the week off as humanly possible. Okay, you guys work so hard all year, you serve so much all year, we just want to give everyone off uh, the week that we that, that we possibly can. So, on New Year's Eve, Sunday New Year's Eve, we're going to host one service, everybody say one service. One. And it is live and in person only, okay? So uh, everyone watching online, come on, join us here at the building for one service, a simple service. It's just going to be me and Taylor, who's on the guitar this morning, and his his, uh, wife, Elise. They'll be leading the the music that morning. We're going to reflect on the year that's gone by. We're going to pray for the year that's ahead. We're going to share communion, and we're going to sing, okay? It's super simple, You, you know, no hospitality team that week there will be no uh, faith kids that week we're giving all those volunteers the week off and we're not streaming, we're not even recording because we're trying to give all those people the week off, does that make sense everybody? okay, now do not email me okay, yeah okay, don't email me the week after I tried to tune in and 4.30pm so don't come in the morning either 4.30pm, one service live only, alright everybody's got it alright if you email me. <laughs> I tried to tune in and there was nobody there. All right. John chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Let me read just verse 14 and then I'm, we're actually going to do something a little different in this service than we did the first service. Okay? Sometimes, you know, we, we have two services here and the 9 o'clock service I just leave like, that was a good practice but that wasn't it. So I'm going to add something this service. Okay. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what we're going to do that's a little different. We're going to play a game to start the 11 o'clock service, and it's called Wild Speculation with Pastor Tim. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't answer out loud. Keep your thoughts to yourself. But here's a question I want you to just uh, consider as we start John chapter 1, verse 14. That is this. Let's pretend for a moment that there had been no sin. That Adam, Eve, and their progeny, all of humanity up to this point has managed to keep the law of God unstained and Perfect that humanity filled the earth and subdued it with all joy and glory and goodness and nothing went wrong, would there still have been an incarnation of the word into flesh? Wild speculation. (laughs) Just think about that as we start. And hopefully we'll come back to it in a minute. If I don't answer that question by the end of the day, you should raise your hand, okay? All right. The word became flesh and, his, and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, John says. Now the word, just by way of refresher, especially if you're here for the first time, the word again uh, is the preexistent, eternal, self-revealing word of God. The Nicene Creed uh, says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He makes the inner thoughts and the intentions of the heart of God known. The word reveals this incredible dynamic at the heart of the universe, a dynamic of love, joy, and unity between Father, Son, and Spirit, And, and this word has become flesh. If you're wondering what Christmas is about, okay, we've really come to the heart of the issue now this week. Now, flesh actually is kind of a uh, kind of a crude word. You could actually translate this just meat. It became meat. I mean, there are nicer ways to describe a person than that, but John's point in saying this is that uh, the Lord of the universe really did become one of us. Not just like semi-human or uh, a quasi-human of some kind, but the Word of God really has taken on a nature just like ours. Philippians 2.7 puts it this way, that the Son of God emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. And John says, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, Full of grace and truth. You know, in, in our context today, where we live, one of the primary stumbling blocks for people to Christianity is how could Jesus be God, you know? But in most of the world today, uh, and in this context here, this ancient Greek context, the, the real stumbling block is how could God become Jesus? I mean, why would, a, why would any perfectly pure spiritual being become meat? Put on flesh and bone and and an actual nature like ours. And yet that is exactly what John asserts. Today we're going to talk about what it means that in doing so, he reveals the glory of God to us. What does it mean when John says that we beheld or we saw his glory? Now so far in our reading in, in the Gospel of John, we've been saying If you really want to know what's happened with Jesus, you need to go back to the very beginning and even before the beginning, before Genesis, to ask not just who is Jesus, but who was he before he put on flesh. Today we get to say, John also thinks if you want to understand what's happened, you need to go back to Exodus as well. Uh, What does it mean that Jesus reveals the glory of God? Well, this verse, verse 14, is just loaded with language and imagery from the book of Exodus. So we're just going to spend a little time there this morning. Addie just read parts of Exodus 33 and Exodus 34 from us for us. Uh, now maybe you've never read Exodus before. Here's a, a brief introduction to Exodus. One of the primary questions in Exodus is, how can God dwell in our midst? How can a holy, righteous, And spiritually pure God make his home with us. And the problem is his glory. Maybe you've heard words like holiness or glory before. And and when you hear the word holy, uh, maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is, you know, a morally perfect person. And that would be absolutely right. But holiness and glory in scripture are foundationally about God's utter uniqueness as the creator and sustainer of all things. There's nothing like him. There's no other being in the universe with the, the power to create a universe as beautiful and awesome as this one. There's no other being that actually is the source of life, the uncreated creator. He's completely unique. And his glory has to do with the radiance and the weightiness of that uniqueness and awesomeness. You know, there are just some people who by virtue of who they are you know when they walk into a room you just kind of feel the weight of their glory and everybody is quiet all of a sudden and everyone knows that they've just walked in the room well that's how it is with god glory in scripture can just be synonymous with awe or praise so when when god causes his glory to pass by moses moses was it say he, he fell to the ground and worshiped the sun would be a great metaphor for what's going on in, in this relationship with God's glory. The sun, uh, in, at least in our solar system, totally unique. Everything circles around it, and everything gets its life and its light from the sun. You can, you can go in the dark if you want, okay? You can hide in the dark and tell yourself... There's no sun, there's no sun, there's no sun, there's no sun. You can do that, but the reality is that the sun continues to sustain you every moment of every day. That's a great metaphor for the holiness and glory of God because uh, even while the sun is the source of all light and life, it is incredibly dangerous. Uh, Even at 92.1 million miles or something like that, it can still kill you if you're out in it too long. Uh, and so it is with the glory of God. His his presence is dangerous to us, not because it's so bad, but because it is so good, and that's the way that God is revealed to us in Exodus. I'll just give you a couple of examples of the glory of God in Exodus. When God first speaks to Moses, he does so from a, a burning bush Now that would be worth a sermon, all on its own. A bush is like the most mundane, common, honestly boring thing in the universe. You have them in your yard. I bet you didn't even look at them this morning. If they were on fire, you would. Right? And here's a bush that is alive with the glory and the majesty of God. And God says to Moses, don't come any nearer. Take your shoes off. Everything around you is holy now. And please be careful. This is what the glory of God is like. And then Moses, when he asks God's name, God's response isn't exactly a name. It's just a, He just states a fact. He says, I am what I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. That will be relevant in the Gospel of John as well. And none of this would be an issue, by the way, This problem with how will God dwell among his people, this would not be a problem if we were the same way. Okay, if we also were perfectly righteous, moral, good, and pure, wouldn't be an issue. If you take two candles and stick them together, they don't put each other out. They actually get bigger. Uh, this, This would be like taking a candle close to a bonfire, right? The candle doesn't blow out. It actually becomes like super candle, whoosh, you know? It becomes more and more truly itself. That's how it would be if we were morally and spiritually perfect as well. But that is not the case. And so there's this tension in Exodus. You and I, uh, unique in, in all of creation, we're, we're built, your soul is custom built To enjoy God more than anything else in creation, and yet you can't get near. And so part of the answer of Exodus is a tent. Uh, It uses the word tent, it uses the word tabernacle, we'll use those interchangeably today, but his answer is a tent, and Exodus can basically be broken into two parts. And We'll just say it honestly. The boring part and the exciting part. Okay? (laughs) The first half of Exodus is just full. I mean, it's a page turner. It's the one all the movies are made about. There's plagues and fire and seas are parting and there's armies going at it and oh, it's amazing read. And you've probably seen the movies. No one ever made a movie about the second half of Exodus. <laughs> ever. Because what you get are seven chapters of instruction about how to build a tent. Starting from the inside and working its way out. And then you get six more chapters about how they went and did it from the outside going in. And we kind of joke about this. This is where Bible reading plans go to die, right? You're just you New Year's New Year's resolution, I'm gonna read through the Bible this year, and you get to Exodus, it's like, Oh my gosh, I need this I'm gonna do something else with my time, right? Well, Right in the middle of those two sections, how to build the tent and then they actually did it, there's this story. And it's an incredible story. Addie just read part of it for us. Where Moses says to God, I wanna see your glory. And if you're reading through, you've gotta say, what are you talking about? What was the first half of this book all about? All the plagues and the pillar of fire and the parting of the sea. I mean, what more do you wanna see? But there is more. Moses wants. There's something about God that still he longs for, and it's one of those moments in Scripture where a, a character in the Bible speaks for all of humanity, and saying, "Would you just let me see you? I just want to see your glory." And God's response, if you were paying attention as Eddie read, is, "I can't. I, it would kill you." And so what I'll do? I'll put you in this in this rock. And I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll, I'll say my name, but no one can see me and live. And what John is doing, what he does is comes along. Oh, and one more thing about the tent. I, I keep forgetting this. One more thing about the tent is that the Word of God is right at the exact center of that tent. So that God says in Exodus, I want you to build this tent, this house around my word. And I promise, if you want to find me, I will always be there where my word is. And John comes along to say, the word has pitched a new tent That's literally what, so in English, verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, because it sounds better in English. But literally in Greek, it's he pitched a tent among us. It's as though the word, you know, dwelling at the center of that tabernacle folded the whole thing up and became it and entered in. So, you know, a few weeks ago we said that in Genesis, you know, God speaks Into creation, and everything is put in order, and once again, God has spoken His word, and it's Jesus. Well, here we see, once again, God has built a tent for His glory and veiled it with flesh, put it in a real person, and that, and we have seen Him, John says, and seen His, the thing Moses wasn't allowed to see, we saw. Now, the thing is that we miss it a lot. The Word became flesh and pitched his tent in our midst and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the Gospel of John, the glory of Jesus is not revealed with a luminescent glow. Jesus did not walk around Palestine, you know, glowing and iridescent. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus reveals his glory through seven signs. John never calls them miracles. He calls them signs, seven things that Jesus does to point us to his true identity. He also reveals his glory in seven claims that he makes about himself. Seven times he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life, and so on. And then, if that weren't enough, seven more times Jesus uses the words I am in reference to himself just kind of in passing. So he's taking up all this language of Exodus and saying the real Exodus is here now. The God who spoke to Moses out of the bush is in your midst and then each sign in John's gospel, each sign and statement is followed by confusion and controversy. People are forced, after each story, people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus is. And some of them walk away saying, this guy is crazy. He's got a demon. And then other people walk away saying, are you serious? Have you ever seen a crazy person do these things? Who has ever heard of a demon Opening the eyes of the blind to get real. Well, all of this in the Gospel of John culminates in the last few days of Jesus' life. He calls it his hour. Uh, In John chapter 12, he calls it the hour of his glorification. And he says the, the time has come and the Son of Man is about to be revealed in his glory. And he talks about his death. So in the Gospel of John, When John says we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, he's talking about the cross of Jesus. Why do we miss the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Because we're looking for what Moses saw. We miss it because we're looking for that raw power and majesty. We're looking for the fire and the lightning and the shaking of the earth like God did at Mount Sinai. And we want to know as we consider Jesus, where is the power? Where's the oomph? And what we get is the cross. You see, it's veiled. God has veiled this in flesh. And the reason we miss it is because there doesn't appear to be any glory Actually, it kind of looks like shame. There doesn't appear to be any power. Actually, it looks like weakness to us. You know, Moses had to hide his face to protect himself from God. We hide our faces because the cross is just so gruesome. We don't want to watch, we don't want to behold it. We miss the glory of Jesus because we're looking for something effective. We want to know does this work? Will it actually do anything? What the world needs, what my kids need, what my marriage needs, what the nation needs are like the plagues of Egypt or something. You know, they need a parting of the sea. They need the earth to shake. That was power. I mean, in Exodus, that actually did something. God actually led people out of slavery, and that's what we need now. Gaza and Israel just need a good plague Haiti just needs thunder and lightning. The Ukraine just needs the earth to shake and everything would be better. Would it really? Would it really? Because instead we get a cross. And what happened in Exodus, okay, is awesome. Awesome. Nobody's denying that. And it absolutely has a time and place. And I am all about. Praying for that raw demonstration of God's power. When I pray for you, and especially when I pray for your kids, when I pray for the university, I ask God for dreams, visions, raw displays of God's power. I've seen a few. They shook me up good. I think you ought to have one too. It's good for everybody to have the fear of God just boom right in your life. But if the Exodus teaches us anything, it's that what is the real issues are too deep for that. Our real issues are beyond fire and lightning and shaking. Something stronger is needed. In Ex- were, those, were those slaves really freed in Exodus? Not really. I mean, in a sense, they were, and we, we give thanks for that. But we read about it in Hebrews this fall. What happened to every single one of those people? They fell in the wilderness, one by one, because their hearts were hardened in unbelief. After everything that they had seen, it didn't get to the issue. And one by one, they fell. All of the raw display of power that Moses saw took them up out of Egypt, but it could not get Egypt out of them. And so what God has given us instead is the cross of Jesus, the most powerful thing he's ever done. And we miss it. How is it full of grace and truth? Well, because the cross of Jesus comes along and says to everyone who would listen, whoever you are this morning, that our real problems are really, really deep. Our real problems are way worse than we think. The cross of Jesus says that if this is what is required, then we must be more lost, more broken, more confused. The danger to our souls must be more profound than we would dare to Imagine. And it only makes sense, the cross only makes sense if we really are every single person under the just condemnation of the law. Verse 17 says, the law was given to Moses. You want to see raw power? Has anyone had occasion to be in a courtroom? That is raw power. Nobody farts around in a a courtroom. And whatever the judge says is absolutely the law. That's raw power. The cross of Jesus says something stronger than that is needed, and the cross provides it. The cross comes along and says, the perfect life of the Son of God poured out in love in my place. That is the power, wisdom, and glory of God. What happens in the cross of Jesus is he comes and he says... I love you. I love you. I, I desire you. I long to be with you more than you can, could possibly imagine. And so I here's my life for yours. My death for yours. And you get all of my righteousness, all of my goodness, all of my perfect morality. I Legally it becomes yours and I take all of your sin. All of your brokenness, everything you've done and will do, I take upon myself and I put it to death. So that you actually are morally pure and perfect. Going back to that example of the sun or the candle or whatever it is we were talking about earlier. We said you, you take a candle, you put it next to a candle, they don't go out. They actually become greater. You take a candle, you put it near a bonfire, it becomes more and more truly itself this is what God has done for you in Jesus to actually make you able to stand, to be in his presence and in his glory. And not just to be snuffed out, to become truly who you were meant to be. Back to our wild speculation this morning. I think I'm just speculating, okay. We're beyond the bounds of scripture you don't have to agree with me. Everybody got that? I I think even if there had been no fall, no sin, no nothing, there was always going to be an incarnation. Scripture says that all things were created by Jesus and for him. This was always the plan. That God would enter his creation and fill it with his own presence and glory and power, and you were made for that. The other thing that tells me is that this, again, this present age of darkness that we live in right now really is just a blip. It will be over soon, and there will be glory forever. And the, the only question is will you share in that? Will you be able to stand in his presence? or not. And the cross of Jesus is the only thing in the universe able to help you do that. That's why it's the strongest thing he has ever done. And we look at it and we think, that is foolish. It's weakness. It's shame. And yet it's the power and wisdom of God. And like all the other signs in John, the cross of Jesus and his resurrection create a divide. Some look at this and they say, this is just nonsense. It, it doesn't, how, would, how does the brutal death of a peasant Jew meet any of my needs today? How does it help my children at all? How does it help the world at all? But there are others who would look at it and say, this is my only hope. A, a lot of us, you know, Christians, walk in unbelief in the sense that we see the cross and resurrection of Jesus and we say thank you God you know for the forgiveness of my sin and the hope of eternal life but I have real problems now my kids are wandering all over the place my marriage is a really hard place you know the world is just being torn apart and we think we need, we need some of that raw exodus power now Thank you for dying for my sin. I would really love a lightning storm, though. No, that is what I need. The cross of Jesus comes along and says, this is the strongest thing I've ever done. And what you need is this. Think of that story. If you were around this summer, you know, we told a story about a, a woman uh, who's, who strayed from God in her 20s and 30s, very, very far from God, embraced all kinds of false uh Uh, understandings of who she was and put her parents through just hell. But if you remember, Laura Smaltz is her name. If you remember her story, she said, it was as the gospel became more and more real to my parents in that experience that I saw them change. They began actually trusting God with my life. They stopped preaching at me and began loving me. They stopped trying to fix me all the time and really really did begin leaning into the power of God to change me. And it was seeing them trusting the cross more that changed me. Uh, those of you today you know you, you know, your marriages are just a chronically difficult place to live. And I know what you want. You, you say God fix her! Zap her brains or something. Like, make this stop. Make it go. She, I don't understand. You come in for counseling and you tell the pastor the same thing. Pastor, what do I need to do to fix this person? And the pastor says, What did Jesus do for you on the cross? Go home and do that for 20 years and watch the power of God at work in your life. You say, I really would like lightning. That would be more, that would be better. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but the cross of Jesus is the fullest expression of God's life-changing power. Verse 16 says, From his fullness, the fullness of God, we received grace on top of grace. What a great phrase. What happened with Moses? was a tremendous grace. You know, the law of God given in the scripture is a tremendous gift. I mean, even though it condemns us, it's, a, it's still a holy and good gift from God that that first tabernacle built in Exodus was a, a, a gift of God's grace and everything God showed Israel in the wilderness and everything God did in the time of the judges and then through the monarchy and how God sustained them throughout the exile, everything God did up to the incarnation was just Grace. But something new has come. A grace on top of all of that grace. A grace that actually saves. It actually transforms. It actually heals and actually raises the dead. And everything you're looking for is there in Jesus. Grace on top of grace. It's one of the themes of John. Bread is good. Mm. Bread from heaven is better. Water is great. Mm. Some of you have some right now. Living water that springs up to eternal life. Oh, it's better. Being born, good for you. (laughs) To be born of the Spirit. Over and over in John, it's everything that's come is good, but Jesus brings with him something extraordinarily awesome. As you think about your own life this morning, I bet, I bet, you just take a minute right now, you can think of all the ways God has blessed you, all of the ways God has sustained you and carried you and kept you and can just grace, grace, grace. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and this is grace on top of all that that brings all of it together and gives it life. Verse 18 ends. So that these first 18 verses, of John, it's all just introduction, right? All we've talked about is his introduction. He says, "No one has ever seen God. The only God, who is at the Father's side." That's he's speaking of Jesus. He has made him known. Now, maybe this is nothing. I didn't have time to ask Porter about this this week. But in the original Greek, there's actually no there's no hymn at the end. So, literally, what it says is the only God who is at the Father's side has made known. Dot, dot, dot. Made known what? That, that's the point of this prologue. That's what John is trying to do. The, everything we've talked about this month, he's just trying to say, God who is at the Father's side has made known. <clears throat> Would you come see? He's just trying to whet your appetite. He just wants you to come and look, keep reading, he's saying. I'm about to introduce you to to the one, and I want you to see what he does. So that's our invitation to you. That's our invitation to anyone who would listen, anyone who would hear and, and respond. Would you come and see? Three ways you can do that right this week. We have Christmas coming. Would you be with us? We're going to open the Gospel of John again. We're going to see the next thing John has to teach us about Jesus. Come, bring a friend. The other thing, you know, we've been talking about this all month is if you're, if you're here and you're asking questions and, and you're, you're trying to sort out the big questions in life, would you find a friend, a trusted Christian friend that you admire? and read the Gospel of John together? Just write down all your questions. Would you just look at them? And finally, we just want to let you know, we've mentioned this before, but we have a new uh, Christianity Explored class coming up in January. And, you know, for my money, this is this is one of the best opportunities in the St. Croix Valley to come, eat a really great meal, but also to, to be able to ask all the questions you want. This class is led by our senior pastor, Tim Porter. We put our senior pastor leads this. This is the guy I go to with my questions, okay? And his passion in life is introducing people to Jesus. And you can trust him. You can trust him and you can trust him with your your friend. So I just encourage you, invite to Christianity Explored. As we wrap up this morning... I want to invite you to do a couple things. Number one, if you're here this morning, you're, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're just so full of questions, you are wrestling with spiritual things, and you don't even maybe you don't even know how you got here this morning or how you found us online. This is my challenge to you. Jesus <laughs> wants to be known by you. And that means that if you would just tell him. If you would just speak to him, he will hear. And so, if that's you this morning, I just challenge you, we're going to take some time to pray right now. As we pray, just say, God, the preacher guy said you will answer me. (laughs) I'm asking if you're real, would would you help me to know? I want you to do that right now. And for everyone else, We all have people in our lives, people we love, that we just wish they could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And you are powerless to make that happen. Would you just take time right now, every name that comes to your mind right now, would you just bring them by name to your Father in heaven and ask God, would you speak so that your light and your life and glory break into the lives of my loved one? Do that right now. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christmas, for once again building a tent in our midst and filling it with your glory, and most of all, for the cross of Jesus. And together we pray that you will speak once again, speak into our city and across the St. Croix Valley. Prepare this week, prepare Christmas To be a unique and special time. God, would you sovereignly arrange the invitations and the conversations, everything that transpires this week? We ask that you would give grace upon grace upon grace. And for each person, thousands of people that we've just lifted before you in prayer, would you shine? your light into their hearts. Would you give the gift of life in Jesus' name and would you lift up the glory of your Son in our midst? We ask this for the, for the sake of your glory and for your joy uh, in our midst and that thousands and thousands and thousands, men and women, children, boys and girls, our, our kids who are far from you, would experience an awakening in the coming year. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Amen.